Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent. Podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. To this episode, we are speaking with Bjorn Witt, managing partner and CEO at Blue Horizon. It was very interesting to have Bjorn on the show and learn about the food tech sector for someone who has significant experience first as an operator and then as an investor in the sector. Bjorn now works for Blue Horizon, a next generation impact investment firm with a life cycle investment philosophy. Their mission is to fill a role in the food system by understanding what drives the market and use it to produce a double positive return on investment. One for the investors, the other one for the planet. Bjorn began his career restructuring companies but quickly shifted over to the food tech space as a way to make more impact. He began to work a lot with farmers in India and in Asia to build up their productivity and at one point even became a shareholder in a food production company. Eventually, he met Roger, Horizon founder, and decided to join the firm. He now leads a diverse team across entrepreneurship, finance, and academia with 78 deals across the world. Bjorn is passionate about food, a passion that he uses to guide us on a journey across the food tech ecosystem, the world's largest market. In our discussion, Bjorn specifically hones 
in on alternative protein as a means to produce the greatest impact, but how? What are the key drivers of the market? What are the major roadblocks? How does he respond to critics of the Frankenstein of the food system? How can innovation in the sector fast track our goal towards zero emission? That's all you guys gonna discover during the show. In the second part of the, the show, Bjorn explained what advice he has for founders looking to fundraise or enter the food tech space. Also gives a few recommendations on books, TV shows, and reports he has used to understand food tech and climate tech more generally. Bjorn, welcome to the show. Hi Bjorn, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today, especially since you guys released an in-depth uh, report in collaboration with BCG, Food for Thought, the Underestimate Climate Opportunity. So I'm looking forward to this uh, great opportunity to hear your story, uh, all the findings that you found uh, during that uh, that report and get up to speed on what you guys are looking at with Blue Horizon. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Guillaume. Very happy to be here. Looking forward to spending the next time with you and share a bit of my passion, our passion with Blue Horizon to be the next generation impact investor and help to transform this industry. So before we start, uh, that's the tradition in the in the show now. Can you please give us a 30 second introduction about Blue Horizon? Sure. Thank you. So Blue Horizon is a next generation impact investor. We have a life cycle investment philosophy. So we do start very early with seed investments and go across the life cycle into venture and growth. We have invested in 78 um, deals by now. Um, therefore, we it's a, it's a global company. Uh, we are driven by impact. We have a unique combination of highly diverse team with um, a, a mix of entrepreneurship, finance people, and academia. And um, as I said, we, we have a very important mission to fill a, a role in the transformation uh, to a sustainable food system by understanding uh, what drives the market and having a double positive, what we say is a positive return for the investors, so we target 3x returns, but also a positive return for the planet, which is impact. So I'll start from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you do besides working on supporting and investing uh, in founders? What makes you feel inspired like your best self? As I always ask, who's Bjorn? Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm driven by impact. I have two little daughters, four and five. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's, it's crucial to understand the role of the food system in today's environment and actually the impact the food system has on, on everybody and will have in the next years. And it's a very critical moment to, to, um, um, to be in this space. And I've been personally in the food space for the last 15 to 20 years. I'm turning 50 very soon in the next two years. Uh, I am uh, I'm a vegan in my fifth year, but we're not a vegan company. We are mass market, uh, driven by technology, mass market company to create impact and returns. But my passion is really in food. I've spent the last 15 years in food along the full value chain. Um, started my career in restructuring companies and reorganizing companies and then 
as I always say, quickly shifted my, at the right point of, in my life, shifted the PowerPoint reality to reality and uh, went into the food system and actually looked at the full value chain, worked a lot with farmers, uh, spent a lot of time in India and Asia, worked with smallhold farmers, increased um, their productivity, built up supply chain businesses, was a bit in the ingredient space myself. At one point of time, had uh, the chance to actually own my, my uh, majority shell a food production company and uh, exited a couple of companies on the way. And then met Roger, who had actually founded the Horizon. Um, and in 2017 was that, in 2018, then I decided to join. And ever since the rest is history, I think we've built a unique, um, uh, a unique setup. And I'm very passionate about impact, about creating better solutions. I'm not passionate to convince people to, to eat vegan. I'm passionate to have the best products that people value chain since I have a big um, experience along the full value chain. I bring that to the table. So you mentioned already this uh, long and uh, busy, uh, I would say, work life experience that you uh, you had so far. Uh, if you maybe could share with uh, with the audience like one or two, uh, what I call more like gold nuggets of, uh, of experiences uh, that you learn along the way and that in a way gave you a edge to be a CEO of the of the fund. Yeah, I think I have a unique combination of having been an investor, but also an operator in the space. And I had a chance to really see hands-on what it means on the um, on the operator side, and actually having founded, co-founded companies, but also ran uh, larger companies uh, in that sense without going into the too corporate world. Um, I think there are a few takeaways which you can can apply to in, in this world of very exciting founders and if you look at business plans you know by now we get two to three thousand decks a year which uh, inbound so you know globally people wanting us to be become shareholders especially on, on the earlier stage and having been um operationally i think there are a couple of things i'll take away you know one one example is if you go upstream and look into reducing, increasing productivity on the farm level. And this goes all the way down to this very fancy ideas of, I would say, indoor farming, for instance, right? I love the concept of indoor farming, with the climate change, but ultimately I always say, listen, make a very small Excel file, put two lines in it. One is called yield and the other one is called cost. Then you put a greenhouse from Holland, from a Dutch greenhouse, and then put your business plan, just these two numbers next to it, and do a comparison. All the PowerPoint, everything goes away. And ultimately, when you scale up, just compare these two numbers. So it's a, I think it's an ability to, to then evaluate and take judgment calls quickly based on experience and based on very basic things, which, um, like the example I gave you, where I think you always need to, to think what's my real business case. And I think there's a, a lot of shift currently with all the markets and probably going to speak about this a bit later. But I think that's a basic thought, having worked on the ground with farmers on the bakery side and on the other side, really understanding that food, even if it's food tech, it's not tech, right? So you can't put, you can't develop a product and then put it on app store and then it's distributed. And I think that in the past years, people are really hoping that this somehow would work and the same valuation multiples and everything would scale as fast as tech does, but it doesn't. Right? So you always have to understand what is really the food angle to this without um, 
you know, acknowledging that uh, maybe in food, and I speak less about disruption, I speak more about transformation. So I think we need in food, we need to include the existing infrastructure and see what we, we don't have the money or the capacity to rebuild everything, like maybe you can do it in a disruptive uh, software way, but uh, we have to integrate the existing players somehow. Ultimately, we don't get scale, and if we don't get scale, uh, we don't have impact. So being driven by impact, as I said, we have to see for ways, how do we believe in innovation, which comes out of what I believe smaller structures, um, and not the big, uh, big, big, big companies for different reasons. And I think we need to integrate that. And I think that's the second big takeaway is to say, you know, don't, don't rethink everything, especially as an investor. Don't forget the basic rules, um, which I had to look at the KPIs. Ultimately, you know, businesses need to make money, have a positive cash flow. That's also the best protection against dilution for the founders and uh, make sure that you have the right partners with you uh, to achieve your goals of impact, but also commercial goals. So before we go into the into details and uh, we'll uh, dig into the, the overall context of the food tech and the alternative protein uh, uh, landscape today, I'd like to understand, and we ask that a lot in the show, to understand what was your driver in a way to jump into this uh, clean climate tech uh, of food clean tech, uh, if I can call it like that. Do you have any like uh, specific moments that uh, you could uh, recall or that you would uh, define as such? I think the moment you dive into the topic and I don't, I was reading a lot about uh, the correlation um, of meat consumption and the per capita consumption of meat and uh, the, the, the income per capita. So there's a very clear correlation when you say, okay, with every dollar a family earns more per head, how, how does the consumption of meat look like? And if, if you look at that data and you plot it out and no matter what source you see, there's a very strong correlation. Not so much in India, but even, you know, if you look at the US, so it's, it's a straight line to say these two axes. Now, understanding that, and we can argue which, which, you know, which year it will be, but one day that we most likely will be 10 billion people on this planet in the next 30 years. And it's simply not sustainable. And the way, if we eat like the Swiss do today, or the Germans, you know, we would probably need three times the planet. And if you eat like the Americans, you probably need five planets. And to understand that this is something very imminent and and um, it's, it's, you know, it's not like an electric car where you take a decision to buy one probably every three or five years, you need to be convinced that it's a feasible concept. Um, most people we talk to have the luxury of having the choice three times a day, 21 times a week to say, what do I eat? And I think ultimately um, understanding that this is a solution with a really big impact and the impact is 70, 80% bigger than all transport combined. So every plane, every truck, every big ship combined has way less impact on, uh, on the planet than uh, a sustainable food system um, um, is, 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 is massive. And the more you read into it, and I'm not on, even talking about the health aspect. And for me, when I turned vegan uh, five years ago, nearly six now, for me, it was more the health aspect, and I just took blood tests, and it worked really, really well. You know, all the reds went into the black again after a couple of weeks, so that's a personal experience. 
But I think combining the impact thinking and uh, having that, uh, you know, when my wife gave birth to two daughters and making that uh, a very um, big milestone in the thinking, I think this for me was really a changer. And uh, having been in food and seeing that ultimately there's a chance to have a product where um, you will speak about this about cost point, price points, about you know the generation of food and where it's heading, where we are today. I'm a big believer we're just in the very beginning and it's so exciting to be a part of a very purposeful mission and, 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 and uh, trend in a way and to have a team of very intrinsically motivated people which I managed together with the team around us uh, which is very driven by impact plus returns that's what you need to market returns need to, to give anyways but uh, I just feel it's a we'll be on the right side of history of what we do and it's just the very beginning it feels like when we started now like the beginning of the internet you know, and then beyond meat came out and the ipo came out and then suddenly people started to put hard facts out there and right now i feel it's um, it was the right choice to to go into this field and i think uh, this was really the time when I read about all this data and then having tasted the, the, the products and all the vegan proteins came out at the time and tasting and seeing always the next generation, the speed of adoption and development. I think that's what motivated me to become uh, what, uh, what, we, what I do today. I think it's my last job I want to do in my life. It's not, it's not even a job. It's more than a job. It's, it's really about the passion of doing that. So let's take a, a zoom out and a, and a step back, as I was mentioning to you at, uh, at the beginning of the interview. Like, I'd like to get a little bit of your sense in terms of the food tech ecosystem and its potential to contribute uh, to the fight of uh, against climate change today. Maybe you can start, and you already mentioned that uh, quickly now, like some data points regarding uh, the impact of food production and consumption on the climate crisis. Uh, and then maybe you can... Give us a little bit of this, uh, you know, your own overview on the, the food tech landscape today. I mean, what are the fundamentals that drive the, the food tech market today? Uh, where do you see major innovation happening? It's a large question, so uh, we'll try well, to I'll just start deconstruct everything. <laughs> yeah, so, so to start off, I think that it's very exciting because it's the biggest market in the world. Food is the biggest market in the world. It's four times the size of software. And uh, of course, that's a very big number. It's very global, but also food is the most, I would say, most decentralized market because you have a lot of different taste profiles and, and localizations. So it's, it's, a, it's a massive market. And within this market, um, we believe that there is a very big portion of, um, you know, there is a, a mass consumption of, of, of animals today which has a very negative impact if you take that with uh, you know, greenhouse gas, uh, land use, water use. And there's pretty good data points uh, around this by now. And everybody speaks only about beef and you know, the beef is becoming the coal of, of food and, and it's so bad. And you know, it's, uh, depending on the times when you look into the, the, the magazines, but within this market, it's not only about meat. Right? It's about everything related to, to animal proteins. Um, and our mission as, as, as Blue Rising from for impact reasons is literally to say, let's take out the living animal from the food chain and we'll have a massive impact. And the massive impact, as I mentioned, is really that um, 
the um, uh, compared to I mean number one is energy by far but then again not so much by far and everybody's focused on energy the biggest contributor to 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 greenhouse gas and then it's followed by the food system and so and then only transport only comes afterwards and what we see is that everybody's focused on energy you know in COP26 people meet at uh, in and they discuss energy tra uh, transitions and um, but I think ultimately, then if you go out to the break and have a nice steak to discuss that further, it's quite maybe not what, what you know what, what you should be doing. So to give you the data points, number one is energy, number two is the food system, 70% to 80% more impact on the climate than, uh, than any transportation has. And I think that's the basic data point. And um, the ability to, to change or to have impact on that system by offering better products to the end consumer, where they ultimately take a um, change uh, to shift to or transition to uh, uh, newer products. That's, that's a big goal, but it's doable. And uh, the key drivers uh, behind this, I'll come to you in a second, but I think everything we see, it's going in that direction. So given numbers with a 2% penetration of alternative proteins in the whole protein market today, uh, the last studies which we did together with the Boston Consulting Group, we expect this, depending on the assumption, to go up to 10 or 11 or 22% in the next 10 to 15 years. So it's a 10x in terms of penetration. And the key drivers are rather simple in food. You know, in food, you need to have four things. Most important taste. If it doesn't taste good, you don't buy it again as a consumer. The second one is availability. If it's not a mass market product, you can't buy it, you simply don't buy it and then the taste doesn't work. So availability, mass market. So you have to play the rules of a mass market. Then you have to look at trust. Unless you have a trusted product, uh, maybe branded product, right? Um, then uh, or not brand, but even a trusted product, you, you don't buy it. And the last, which is always neglected by some of the studies but it's price so the price if you if you know if you can't feed your family you don't care about the planet that much you just go for the price when you go go shopping in mass markets so all of these four um, drivers uh, we believe are on the right track of course there's it's a transition there's more more you know more things to do but ultimately there are three core technologies driving this market of alternative proteins. The first one is plant-based. So it's like a, you know, Beyond Meat Burger today, or, uh, you know, uh, some, some, some plant-based chicken where you use a fairly traditional technology, which was used in dog food some 20 years back, right? Because what came out had to look like meat. So you buy it and feed it to your dog. So uh, the, 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 the extrusion technology has become much more enhanced. It has more, you know, it's a high moisture extrusion process or um, to, to, to say it resembles quite a lot to, to uh, I'll, I'll stick with chicken, right? So a chicken product today really looks like, it feels like a chicken. You can produce that uh, today with plant-based already. The second technology is fermentation. Also fermentation, it's a fairly old concept um, but what has changed that by now you have a precision fermentation technology, which is literally you take a recipe, which is based on the DNA of a certain product, and then you rebuild with this recipe uh, a protein to do exactly what you want it to do. And you put that uh, in a 
in a controlled environment, and then ultimately you take out of uh, um, a fermentation pro process, you suddenly can replicate an, an egg white, or you can replicate certain things where you see at the beginning of the value chain, you can produce a fungicide, which um, uh, eats the fungus, a bug eating the fungus, but you can scale it and it's very precise. But that's that's the second core technology, which is very, very interesting for now. The third one is what is often being referred to as clean meat. So it's um, lab-grown meat or lab-grown cells. Also here, it's not something you know that new. You have to, if you look to medicine, if you have a burnt skin, if you go to hospitals, you know, you take a cell, you put it to the lab, you let it grow, and then you use that uh, tissue again. Uh, different price point, right? We're looking again at mass market. So I'm explaining these three things because what we will we are seeing um, um, as investors and looking at the, the landscape is obviously these three technologies emerging. I think um, uh, a the scaling up really helps to bring down the price points so on the plant based. As we speak today, from a costing pure cost perspective, we're able to replicate a chicken breast, um, which would go into a nugget. Uh, at less of the cost of a real chicken breast, which you could buy anywhere in the world, in Thailand or Brazil, for something, I don't know, $2.60 or something per kg, very low price, but the highest value of a chicken. But this you can replicate with a plant-based ingredient, and then, you know, a lot of the taste profile anyway comes from the breading, and, and that's why. So that's interesting, because price is coming down, and as we speak, based on the ingredients, you can have a, uh, uh, I never speak of cheap food, that's what you should not do, but you can produce an, an affordable, chicken nugget and that's why maybe some of the big fast food chains are also pushing in that direction i'm not sure if they do it for because they love animals i just believe they do it because they can make more margin right and ultimately that's part of the driver is the cost so the cost the taste profile and then uh, is, is working already on, on the plant base if you add some ingredients which you do with a second core um, technology which is fermentation uh, they can, for instance, produce ingredients which have still a fairly high price point, but you add 1% of ingredient to a plant-based product and suddenly it makes up 90% of the consumer experience. So what do I mean? You have a, you have a plant-based cheese and then, which doesn't stretch. So cheese for me also, you know, it's a difficult thing. It's not that cheesy yet, but if you have the next generation of ingredients, which you can ferment and then add a little bit to your plant-based cheese and suddenly cheese stretches so you have a pizza with stretching cheese and it's it's a, it's a fantastic step forward by having a small piece and i'm trying always to give you know example outside of the, the meat uh, so this really gives you also in the dairy space not the space a much better product so that technology will probably you know scaling up takes another two to five years but then also there uh, the, the price points will be the same as the animal protein and mixing the two already now with the first one going down below and the price umbrella, the reference point of meat going up, you know, and everything, all the poor things we see today in the world with the war, with the energy crisis, with everything, climate change, it only accelerates what we do on these two points because the reference umbrella of animal protein price only goes up right now and we only go down so i think that's that's a big big um, shift as a driver and uh, cell-based you know i think this will still take time we believe it's another eight years out uh eight to ten years 
There's a lot of regulatory challenges to be overcome. Who's going to regulate it? Is it safe? How is the consumer going to react to it? But there will be early adopters, such as, you know, and also I must tell you, I just came back from Israel a few, few weeks back and had one of our portfolio companies have the latest chicken sausage product from the bioreactor where you have like 10% chicken fat cells blended into a uh, plant-based sausage. It's, it's amazing. It's simply, you know, I, I always say, Everything you buy today is an iPhone 5. Uh, I, I, I tend to, to happen not the latest. I have like 11 or 12. I know people with an iPhone 7 on the table, but you know nobody with an iPhone 5. But all the products you buy today is an iPhone 5, full stop. But the next 18 months, we see the products. We see the iPhone 7, 8, 9 going to, to the market. And then immediately, the adoption curve will be driven up. And with cell base, it's all already this product which I had was an iPhone 10, minimum 11, 12, because the next product was an was a cell based chicken product where you don't have the structure of a T bone, you know, T bone. You know, it's not about T bone; it's about mass market, you know, pulled chicken, all that. And if you have in a chicken burger, and 40% is like a real chicken cell grown in the lab, blended into a, a plant based product. Fantastic. And once it's on your table, it's not a question if it's going to happen. It's just a question when it's going to happen. So we have uh, a defined timeline to to look into that. And uh, for us, it's plant based now. You know, uh, the the fermentation in the next uh, upcoming years, and then the, um, the 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 cell base is a bit out. But all of these three things will happen in the next ten to fifteen years, and that's that's literally nothing in history. And we see all indicators that the question, not only about sustainability, but also about food security. If countries import today or 70, 80% of the grains from countries like Russia or Ukraine, suddenly for political reasons, either they don't get it or they don't want to buy it. So there's a big pressure to think the food system more local, more tech oriented, more safer. And these core technologies, and I said again, the full value chain needs to be part of it. If you don't start in the beginning, you don't have good end products. You need to see to start at field level. I think it's hugely exciting to see the main drivers coming into play. To repeat the first one, taste profile, yes, it's coming, it's there. And uh, the, the, the innovation speed uh, of the next releases is, is coming. The second one, where you say it's mass market, yes, that's a function of the price point but also the ability to scale up now, where you have companies where you don't only look into, you know, the tech risk or the brand risk, but it's really about scaling up and, and, and enabling that. And that drives the price point down. And then suddenly something comes in quite interesting. That's the brand. Today, there's no, globally, there's no brand in meat. There's no, you know, brand in certain categories because it can't deliver on consistency of the brand promise. But then suddenly, in our alternative protein space, you can do that. So a lot of this market of the branded business suddenly becomes open to either be on a private label uh, for the big retailers, for them it's also a big change, or for the branded business to say, okay, I give a certain promise on the brand of the taste and associate yourself to this. And uh, I think that's that's a unique opportunity with all the knowledge and know-how which exists in other categories suddenly being applied to this category. It's hugely exciting. 
Thanks. Uh, you covered a lot already. All of my questions get a little bit uh, mixed up, but uh, I here I'd like uh, I like to understand a little bit. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, growth, uh, which subcategory of the alternative protein is growing the the, the fastest? I mean, what's the market uh, adoption so far? Uh, how is the, the the consumer reacting to it? I mean, you mentioned that it was like close to two percent or like way lower than that. So. Are they, there's always this concern about like, you know, Frankensteinization of our food system. Um, you guys are betting on uh, those alternative protein uh, at first. So how do you see the, the reaction? Uh, I mean, who are those early adopters in the, in the market? And, and maybe like how big food players, uh, the Nestle's of the, this world and, uh, and, and Cargill and, and others like uh, are positioning themselves. Uh, regarding that and you mentioned already uh, the chicken nuggets by uh, McDonald's if uh, probably that was uh, the company that you are not naming it but uh, uh, tell us a bit, put uh, the name. a bit more what? about uh... <laughs> so tell us a bit and to, to summarize here like which category are like uh, subcategories are going the, the fastest um, what is the, the, the current situation in terms of the market adoption uh, where are we at uh, who is the early adopters and is this uh, this fear of uh, Frankensteinization is uh, is there or not? And I guess the big guys are taking advantage of it. Yes. So, listen, the um, the consumer perception of this it's still new, but it's a need to be differentiated amongst age groups and obviously amongst regulatory environments. Like in Europe, there's no GMO. In the US, age that's no problem, right? So that's a principle. Different mindsets on consumers on. On, on food in, in principle. What we see is, A, the growth is still, not still, it's there, and it's going to, to accelerate, but even in times where stock markets have come down, and the, the only two stocks in our space, which is only Beyond Meat, have been also hit, maybe not as much as other tech stocks, but also have come down quite a bit. Uh, I think it's it's very important to, to put the consumer first. And what we did with... Um, what well, Verizon did with the BCG now in the, in the second study this year, which we just released, it gives you a couple of, of insights what, from a consumer perspective, what does it take to take the next level? And it was very interesting to see you know, with 3,700 consumers in, in, in seven countries surveyed, um, a lot of consumers are aware of alternative proteins, but um, they would switch even more if a couple of things would be realized. One of them, you have to add more value to the product to be charging a premium price. If you don't have a premium product, you can't charge a premium price. And that's a bit of a challenge because a lot of consumers have been rightly sold for certain products saying, oh, you know, it's plant-based, but it's not healthier. Why is that? Because you're a mass market. You look at all the ingredients lists and then, you know, you don't, obviously you don't have the real ingredients list of a, of a piece of chicken with everything which has been injected into that over time, but it's okay. Um, the, uh, the the ingredients list of some of the products are simply too long and not that healthy yet. It's highly processed and there are a lot of products which we believe, also where we invest, which are more in the clean, clean meat direction and the clean healthy um, ingredients list direction. And I think that's one of the key findings to say, okay, Premium product, if you add premium and health is a big, or that's the next big topic driven by ingredients, but also by, by, by the categories. 
So we believe in a category from a consumer perspective, we do see with innovation coming that we're just in the very beginning, as I said, uh, penetration rate. We will see uh, an increase um, adoption rate and therefore an acceleration of the market in the next um, two to three years again. And we, we strongly believe in that. Uh, one of the main findings also is that if we would make consumers understand more uh, about the climate impact, I think also that this would also drive it, assuming that, as I said before, the price continues to come down and it's it's passed on to, 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 to the consumers. And I think that's, from a consumer perspective, a, a key point to say, okay, what is the next step? It's health, it's about uh, transparency, it's about being a trusted brand and availability. But I think also there will be quite some consolidation now to be able to, to offer the consumer what they're used to. You know, today in certain markets, you suddenly have 20 different burgers or all these different things. As a, you're overwhelmed as a consumer, you don't really understand what is the brand, what's the brand promise, and why is this better than the rest? So this needs a little bit of a cleanup, which happened in other categories before. So meat, yes. I think dairy, uh, we've seen a lot of alternatives in dairy, um, but I think dairy will see a big shift the moment that the core technology of fermentation is scalable uh, and you will be able to you know, produce the key ingredients and then suddenly you can use the existing infrastructure of the big dairy players. So if you have a casein, which you use for cheese and then you have, have it produced and you can supply it and to the existing infrastructure and don't need to rebuild everything. I think this will be driving a lot of that category. Plus the consumer will really appreciate, you know, the taste profile, which he grew up with in this category, uh, that it's really resembles much more. Um, in the future, I think one um, category, which uh, we, we are also looking at uh, quite actively, which has not yet been tapped is, is below the sea, right? The, the, the whole sea life, um, the, well, don't want to, you know, make advertising for Netflix and, and, and Seaspiracy, but literally, if you look into that type of information and you understand that there's a big impact on the climate, also with life, sea life um, in the ocean, which has been hammered and still is as we speak. And um, so the fish replacement, the, the shellfish replacements uh, of alternative proteins, we believe will be a big, uh, a big shift and will have a category where a lot still needs to be developed. Uh, innovative products, we see them uh, either be a shrimp or fish uh, replacement, but that's a category which I believe will really go, go out. You know? And uh, to make the bridge to, to the second part of the question on how do the big players look into that, my view is it's great if the big established players do category management and category marketing. You know, they have big dollars to spend, which none of the, the startups or young growing uh, companies have. So if um, there is a product on plant-based tuna, which is being promoted uh, P-based and by one of the big companies and put into the shelf and then, you know, trying to educate consumers about this, I think it's great. So it's a, it's a combination of both because ultimately it's not the, the, the enemy. The enemy is the, uh, the climate change and the big impact. So everything we need to join forces to, to, to fight that. And um, therefore, uh, I think 
the level of innovation is sometimes uh, surprising from uh, from big corporates, but uh, most of the times, as a, as I believe, is it comes from smaller structures, and uh, therefore we uh, we see an increasing amount of, of younger companies, which are then very often being contacted by large organizations either to be acquired or to, to have certain partnerships. So I think that's the new model to see how do we bring innovation into traditional food production and probably some of these ingredient companies and where we see we see a lot of b2b companies emerging with innovative ideas to say okay let's let's not take the brand risk let's sell the shovels to the gold diggers and position ourselves a bit more upstream and and, and see if we can have a specific product to decompose the value chain and say okay i have a very specific solution for one challenge but i'm the best and we, we continue to see that, and that's very interesting. And I think uh, ultimately, um, once we reach a certain scale as an industry, um, this will again drive the impact. But uh, it's 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 still nascent in many pieces. If you look at the cost structures of a lot of um, uh, of the companies we look at, um, the you know the, 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 the transformation costs compared to the raw material. Since the scale is not big enough, the transformations cost is still much higher than in the traditional meat industry, for instance, and the raw material is, is, is lower. So uh, bringing down the costs, scaling up, this will drive and this will bring the interests of the established players even more into that direction to promote it, because ultimately the margins will come back uh, in the space. You have a security in the supply chain, hopefully, once you set it up, and therefore there's a big... Um, a big interest of uh, the big corporates to be part of this. Uh, we've seen a couple of bigger deals, uh, big meat players acquiring companies, and I expect this to continue. So can you tell us, uh, and this is going to be my, my last question around the uh, environment in general before uh, digging into uh, Blue Horizon. So maybe according to you, like what are the you, uh, your opinions, I mean, uh, advantages and weaknesses in regards to alternative protein. I mean, how do you compare the EU, EU countries uh, versus the US in large or, or the rest of the, of the world? I mean, do you see any, any major roadblock? Uh, I mean, and what needs to happen in a way to accelerate the, the movement in which, uh, and in which timeline sounds realistic to you in terms of um, alternative protein uh, adoption? I think from a consumer perspective, um, the Europeans have been partially quite progressive, especially the UK. It's an, in our market, a pretty established market. Um, uh, the, the Dutch have been traditionally very strong uh, food. And um, the German, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a tough market, but uh, price-wise, but also the, the, uh, the level of innovative products, if you look at Mintel data, they have been quite high uh, second after the US only in terms of innovation and food, what is being brought to the shelf. So from a consumer perspective, I think there's a, a, a strong belief in this. And by definition, especially the link to climate, um, the Europeans have been very much aware, not only about carbon, I think the US is still much a lot about carbon, but I think the European mindset from a consumer is still ahead of that, uh, really understanding that, uh, you know, there's, there's big impact to do. From a technology perspective, I think um, Europe has a big potential. There has been a lot of uh, traditionally 
talking about you know machinery goods industry there's a lot of food there's a lot of pharma uh, and uh, you know partially also money involved which you need to um, to 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 support that however the the you know the venture capital on the earlier stage in the seed is uh, much more uh, much stronger in the us that's also where this industry uh, originated from without certain donors and putting 50 million into let's have the next generation burgers and let's see if it works or not i don't mind if it costs like five thousand a patty and the cost will come down so this mindset of the us really helped um, initially to, to to launch this industry but now um, i think the the challenge is that we in, in europe we of course we care a lot about uh, the food safety which is fantastic and uh, we just need to be careful not to lose a little bit the traction um, uh, I think the whole shift is an opportunity uh, of, the, of this transition it's not a risk uh, of course some people not everybody will win but most of the people have an opportunity to win and I would be not surprised unfortunately uh, if um, Looking at the solar panel industry, you know, a lot of went to China. Suddenly, other industries just got lost. And the, the, the technology we have today, with extrusion, with a lot of other things of the, on the process, process know-how, engineering know-how, uh, it has a risk that uh, we will, in a couple of years, not be on top of it, because China has included this topic into their five-year plan, for instance, which is the new five-year plan. Uh, recently, there's a lot of shifts. Uh, Singapore has, uh, you know, Singapore has uh, enabled the, the set the, the, the path for new technologies in food to be more, you know, open from a regulatory perspective. Um, Israel is fantastic, but I count Israel to to more to Europe in the sense of technologies on the early stage on the agri side. But again, there to scale it up, I think there's a risk that a lot of this tech will, will not stay uh, in the region. So, And then we have the whole discussion about GMO, where I believe, especially the UK, after having gone out of um, the European Union now, are preparing themselves to be a bit more open for gene editing or stuff like that. Um, so to summarize, our position is very strong in this industry, especially for the scale up. But there's a risk that we might lose part of that position if we don't move fast enough and put a time off on the agenda, also on the political agenda. Thanks so much for sharing all of those uh, super valuable insights. Any other interesting findings that you would like just to uh, pop in, like a, a quick one uh, that we, you didn't cover during this uh, first part? Yes, uh, the, the, the impact perspective from investors we haven't really talked about. And I think what's very, um, not surprising, but great to see based on data on the latest study, which we um, uh, did as Blue Horizon with, uh, with the Boston Consulting Group, is that the impact on capital employed, so investing in, you know, in CapEx in, in our industry has way more impact than other industries. I'm comparing that, if you compare that to the cement industry, if you compare that to the electric mobility, uh, even to cement, we are four times more impactful in a positive way on the planet. So if you want to invest for impact, our industry is number one by a factor of 3.7. 
based on certain assumptions, but based on independent data, which was uh, recently, um, uh, you know, calculated and, and researched. And I think that's a big, big finding because a lot of public um, institutional investors are also looking for fulfilling their targets about impact, but also about ESG, obviously. Um, but if you we, we split the two, but if you look into the uh, we trademarked it immediately and said, okay, the, the, the impact on uh, capital employed, the return there is much higher for the planet investing in our space than in any of the other spaces. Thank you so much. So let's go into the, the specific uh, of uh, Blue Horizon. Maybe can you tell us a bit more about like what was the initial gap uh, that has been seen and that led to the, the thesis behind uh, Blue Horizon? The great thing about Blue Horizon is that we never had to change our DNA. Uh, Roger, who founded the company, was convinced that taking the living animal out of the, the supply chain drives impact. And it's a fantastic opportunity um, to, to invest. Um, we've built Blue Horizon along these lines. So we our domain expertise, and we you know, 30 people roughly right now. Um, the domain expertise is really about alternative proteins. We don't do fish farms. We don't do insect proteins. We have a clear-cut line of what we what we do and what we don't do because of that's that's our expertise. So the basic belief of saying let's look at the food supply chain that's quantified from day one, having you know built a quantified market model to say what are the core technologies, where does it sit in the food supply chain, when do we believe will it have impact. To drive down costs, it's about costs, and I think that's a uniqueness Blue Horizon built up over the last six years to say how can we scale, and how do we always stay ahead of the curve to see where we when we started in you know, at the time half a million a million investment was very big big number into this industry, but we were literally driving up and down the west coast and meeting these entrepreneurs and say okay let's leave the office and let's meet outside of the office to understand what's the real challenge. And to 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 uh, to invest in this thing, but that was seed portfolio money, right? And then today the, the numbers have changed. And after having, um, uh, and by the way, we still continue to to stay with our roots. So we have a dedicated team working on seed investments, which we do off balance sheet as Blue Horizon, uh, where we have a certain limit uh, of ticket size, so we don't have a conflict of interest, of course, with, with the other uh, strategies. But the seed strategy is our view into the future. So amongst our quantified market model, we look into what are the technologies, what can we learn, where does that sit, and that's a really great program. So we kept that from day one, and we, we professionalized this way. As an institutional setup, understanding that uh, also the venture strategy, but also growth strategy uh, right now, um, which is, is, is continuing to follow the same logics and the quantified market model, it's just about different risk profiles, which you have in the different buckets, but we believe that we have built a, um, a unique um, setup um, from, from, from scratch, literally, but we've never deviated and we're very happy that everybody's now picking up this mainstream topic because when we started, and as I said, none of the banks were covering the sector, Beyond Meat wasn't out there, and so it was a big, uh, big shift. And uh, to see um, that all the projections we, we gave also get supported uh, year after year 
on a quantified uh, way to say what is the basis, how is the market going to grow, what are the cost uh, point, uh, the price points, and how is innovation being driven, and uh, that's exactly where we sit. And combining that with a very strong perspective on impact as a value driver and having a blue horizon model to, to look into impact uh, and split impact out uh, from ESG. It's not how a company operates according to the standards and food, you know, it touches literally all SDGs from in the UN, but having a quantified impact model to say we can set a baseline, we can say what are the externalities of impact of this, uh, what the product does and having a, a common nominator on a dollar value and saying the baseline and like you calculate an IRR, we uh, calculate an IQRR, which is, uh, you know, an impact uh, rate of return, uh, also for baseline. And this is unique. Now uh, we have a strong competence behind this, so we can show and prove that everything we do on a double positive mission is for the investors, but also for the planet. I think it's a good segue for my, uh, my next questions. Like, I mean, uh, speaking about, uh, uh, in terms of like impact cash return or ICR, uh, that's how I call it, like many building, uh, you know, impactful companies while creating highly profitable business. Do you see any underdogs or subsectors uh, in the food tech in general that you are uh, especially excited about right now? Right now, I'm very excited about uh, the B2B space and the growth uh, phase of, of, um, of companies in the growth phase who have, have literally have a product which needs to be scaled where we can learn from you know, the traditional industry in a way. Um, the whole, the biggest challenge to grow this industry is infrastructure right now and technology surrounding infrastructure. So if I take the two to 3,000 ideas, business plans or put the next to each other, which we get annually uh, inbound uh, and out of the market. And I just put them next to each other. It's like, how is this going to scale? It's simply there's no way on this planet there's enough capacity to actually be anywhere close to that. Of course, that's normal. But uh, we see uh, uh, we're very excited about anything on the B2B side to be able to support the scale up of this industry because we're convinced of the supply chain reshaping in the food industry following major trends globally, not about, about uh, environment, but also about food security and seeing companies which have small, great, innovative um, solutions, which then can feed into existing structures and really bring them down. So to make it tangible, if you have an aeroponic, uh, I, uh, you know, technology which is scalable you can plug it into any controlled atmosphere uh, growing um, setups and this technology allows you to be 30 percent more efficient suddenly it's, it's a game changer and we see these technologies on the earlier side on the other side we see a lot of opportunities in packaging you know in, 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 but also all the way upstream in seed genetics in fungicides which you ferment uh, with precision fermentation so these are all some underdogs which you don't really see because so far there was no story to be told. And what we see now since five, six years, you have great founders, you have great tech people who look into specific solutions and then suddenly they have a story to be told and it works. And that's fantastic. 
So on the uh, opposite side, I mean, like out, out of all the, the, the pitch and the business plan and deck that you uh, see uh, through your desk, I mean, in your opinion, which are the, the, the solution or like service or, or product and without naming anyone, but that you believe makes no sense uh, whatsoever and sounds like, you know, maybe a waste of time and, and resource or greenwashing. Do you have any example of, uh, you know, areas that you don't believe in at all? Or you're not excited about so maybe both i'm i'm excited about the concept of um you know indoor farming i really think it's it's great um we haven't done a single investment in that field yet um due to high valuations recently and the last year showed some some of the companies wanted to spec at like billion valuations and they literally had no sales and the, the whole concept was Great, but we, we haven't done any investment there yet. Saying yet, you know, we we'll continuously looking for that. I personally, the team visited globally a lot of these uh, opportunities, but um, I think it it will take uh, a proof of, of of concept that a if you want to you know grow green leaves uh, and uh, it's not a high value product, it's not a great product where you convince the end people do it's very capex intense the energy price is very high so the, the numbers are challenging to convince investors to be putting money at very high valuations into such concepts um, so that's one area so far i mean never say never we look at it and you know right now we're looking at two opportunities but uh, let's see what comes out but that's the whole indoor farming space so far i think was a little bit too much on the hype side. Um, Anything else that you find like it's 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 useless or should not be uh, called food tech, climate tech uh, related, uh, and it's more like a greenwashing thing. Some people um, say like you know green hydrogen. <laughs> I'm kidding, but uh, <laughs> anything that uh, you see like I mean, tell us what uh, we should not look at. I. Uh... I believe there's a lot of companies who, who, who still believe it's a, it's a pure marketing play, who just put a brand on something which is not unique. And for anyone who, um, who wishes to be successful in this field, you need to follow the basic rules. So if you don't have a sustainable USP, a unique selling proposition, what's really unique about your product, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking at it. Nobody needs, I think in the US that over 220 different companies offering uh, plant-based chicken nuggets today. And I'm not sure next year we'll see another 220 coming or the 220 will be reduced. I think they'll be reduced because ultimately it's just having a commodity and trying to put a commodity with a brand and burning money, but that's not how the world looks like. So what we should not be looking at is just to say, I'm taking an off-the-shelf product, trying to put a brand on it and trying to be you know, it's it's the, the times are changing fast. The cycle in this food industry are very fast. I see tons of um, founders uh, believing in the next uh, generation. Say, so, okay, let's let's do some vegan dog food or pet food. It is a booming market, yes. But you know, be aware. Just if you go to any supplier and just put a brand on it, it's not sustainable. It's not going to work. So we have to have something unique. And so anything you feel it's not unique enough. You know, better not look at it. <laughs> Thanks so much. So what's next for Blue Horizon? Impact. 
impact and returns for us it's been um, a fantastic time since always when, when valuations tend to come down a little bit it's a good moment to invest uh, we have seen a lot of the growth deals which uh, uh, which we did not do we did a lot of most of the deals of course we did not do in the last 18 months and uh, we believe that the, the, the growth will be driving the impact and growth deals will be driving while not leaving out the earlier stage of course but um, I think for us it's really about attracting more institutional money uh, more strategic partners into our space convincing them the facts and returns track record and uh, obviously doing fantastic deals to create impact and measure it so so my Go ahead, sorry, interrupted. No, I think for us, it's, it, it's really about future globalization. It's about getting institutional uh, money in. For us as a firm, we're, we're specialists uh, in this field. We, we see uh, mainstream investors asking us to join their rounds, specialists. On the other hand, we don't want others to eat our lunch. So we're trying to be ahead of the curve and also the growth strategy to reach a, a significant size to be able to further develop our position uh, in the space as thought leaders, as a unique combination of a team, um, and, and to empower that strength and to increase the global presence. So last question on my side, uh, what's your personal view on the climate crisis? Are we doomed? I mean, what would you say to, to the people who feel demor demoralized by all the you know, terrible and already visible consequences of uh, climate change today? I would tell them, be aware about the impact what you eat, because that's what you can change. You can't change what politicians do every day, but I'm sure you can change what you eat and how you eat it and think about it. And it doesn't need to be more expensive. You can even you know, be very sustainable in what you eat by, by changing part of your diet, especially the protein intake. Um, we're not doomed. I'm an entrepreneur, so I always stay optimistic. and. Um, I, I love the level of innovation and speed. Um, however, I must say that we need to um, we need every every dollar is a bullet for impact, right? So everybody who is also trying to support in, in, in innovative solutions in our space, uh, it's 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 great to be behind it. So as a consumer, do change your diet. Watch us. Uh, watch our portfolio companies, the ecosystem globally. Uh, it's, uh, we're just in the very beginning and whatever comes to the market in the next 18 months, uh, it's already tomorrow is changing everybody's lives because of the cost, because of availability, because of taste profile, trust potentially, and will convince step by step more and more people. And then automatically will have a big impact on, on, uh, on the climate. Is it enough? No. Right? Is it is it uh, only? There's no silver bullet in the fight for, for for climate change, but food is the second biggest contributor. We as Blue Horizon are very much in the center of this and, and seeing how to quantify this impact and drive this. But everybody can make a difference. Just change your plate. So, how can the community of uh, investors, LPs, founders, experts listening to the show can uh, can help you? I think be aware of um, of uh, of the opportunities coming up. It's not about you know us as the horizon, but I think as as the as the big group uh, of investors um, support 
companies along the full lifestyle uh, life cycle, um, whether it be lifestyle products on the high end, whether it be basic technologies, seed genetics, everything. There's a lot of um, a big space to invest. Um, and if you follow the people who have been in this space for quite some time and have a domain expertise, probably they can help you to take certain decisions if you want to be part of this. Any question I should have asked and I did not for this first uh, part of the interview? Um, I, no, I think, I think we covered quite a lot, no? <laughs> yeah, we covered a lot. So thank Thank you so much, uh, Bjorn, for your time, your uh, incredible insights, all of this uh, hard work that you put uh, uh, to, you know, build and uh, rebuild a better, healthier uh, world and cleaner world, uh, definitely. So thank you so much for coming with us. Thank you so much. Have a great day, Guillaume. Thank you. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climatic ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.